Welcome to another Sunday in the season of Epiphanies. You've heard me say the word epiphany literally means to shine a light on something. It means you're, you're bringing something to light. We still use it today to say, oh, I've had an epiphany. Like the light bulb went on. I, I realize something. And in this season, we are shining a light on Jesus. So we're going through the Gospel of John. and We're looking at the stories of Jesus interacting with people. So last week in John chapter 3, we looked at the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Today we're in John chapter 4. We're going to look at another story of Jesus interacting with a single person. It's called, she's called the woman at the well. We never learn her name which is interesting. We'll talk about that as we go along. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter four. And if you've heard the sermon from last week, I want you to sort of think about how Jesus interacted with Nicodemus and compare that with how he interacts with this woman. So as we read down through this story, think about just the the ways that he spoke to Nicodemus and now the ways he speaks to her. So the story takes the first 42 verses of John chapter four. So read along with me. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and he went once more back to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But nobody asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way to him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So, as John starts this story, he sets a couple things in motion that that you need to understand. Because, again, John's writing in like, you know, 80 or 90 AD to a very different audience than us in the 2000s. There's a couple things he says here, which if you lived in this time in this place, would give you pause. He says in verse four that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And it's emphatic. It's not like, oh yeah, I had to go to the store. It's like it was necessary. It, he must go through Samaria. Now that's not actually true in terms of geography. The Jews in Israel at this time, they live in two places. They live down in the south, which is called Judea, and they live up in the north by the Sea of Galilee, and that's called Galilee, after the lake. But in between there is the area of Samaria, and the Samaritans and the Jews despise one another. And that goes back over 700 years They have fought with each other. They have argued with each other. They can't stand each other. And like so many other things, they can't stand each other because they're related to one another. The Jews of that day, if you're down here in Judea and you want to go to Galilee, the easiest way is you just walk straight through Samaria. Now, it takes several days. It's not like it's a 10-minute trip. you got to spend several days going through Samaria. But that's the quickest way. But lots of Jews would rather go east across the Jordan River go north through the Gentile land, and then come back across. And so the trip is much longer, but at least you won't meet any Samaritans. Because in the Jews' eyes, the only thing worse than a Gentile was a Samaritan. Because the Gentiles didn't worship the true God, but they knew they didn't worship the true God. They didn't claim to worship the true God. They had all their own gods. The Samaritans claimed that they worshiped Jehovah the God of Israel. They claimed to be descended from Israel. They claimed to be Jews, in other words. And all the Jews are like, no, absolutely not. You are not Jewish. So the Samaritans have their own temple to God. They're not coming down to Jerusalem to worship with the Jews. They've got their whole religious setup going on in the area of Samaritan. And John said Jesus had to go through there, but he could have actually gone around. And then he says in verse six, that it was noon. Now that's really interesting given the very next sentence. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, you don't draw water at noon. It's the hottest time of the day. You draw water in the morning when it's cool or you draw water in the evening when it's cool and you come as a group. 
all the women of the town would come together at the same time. It was a social time. You know, you got away from your kids and your husband and your duties and whatever, and and maybe you walked slowly to the well and slowly back, but it it was a big to-do. Everybody did that every day. They came together when it was cool out. This woman's coming alone in the middle of the day. Like, if you live in this age, that ought to make you wonder. That's like if I, you said to me, oh, Jeff, what'd you do today? I'm like, oh, you know, well, about eight o'clock before church, I, I went to the store to get some things. Okay, nothing strange about that. But if I said to you, yeah, at 2 a.m., I had to go to the store and get some things. I'm pretty confident you would ask me more about that. It, I'm still going to the store either way. It's the time that makes it weird. Why are you going to the store at 2 a.m.? Why aren't you asleep? Why is this woman getting water at noon by herself? Something's going on. And then the very next thing John says is even weirder. And Jesus said to her, will you give me something to drink? Okay, Jews do not ask Samaritans for drinks. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. He should have, at the very least, turned away from her. Really, he should have gotten up and walked off because Samaritans are like cooties. You know, there's some range where you get close enough to them, something bad is gonna happen in the Jewish mind. He should have gotten away from her. And Jews absolutely do not drink out of cups and bowls that the Samaritans use. You will be unclean if you do that. And Jesus asks this woman for something to drink. And she knows that's messed up because she says back to him, verse 9, you're a Jewish guy and I'm a Samaritan woman and you shouldn't be talking to me. And Jesus does exactly with her what he did with Nicodemus. Remember how Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, oh, we, we've seen you do these things. We know that God's with you. And Jesus just turned that conversation around and says to Nicodemus, no, you don't see, you don't know, and you have no clue what God is doing. And he turns this woman's thing around as well. He asks her for a drink. She's like, I'm not going to give you a drink. You know we're not supposed to do that. And he says, well, then you should be asking me for a drink. If you're not going to give me a drink, you should ask me to give you a drink because I can give you living water. And just like Nicodemus did when Jesus said you have to be born again, she takes him literally. It's like, "Um, buddy, (laughs) that well is deep. You don't have a bucket. Uh, You're not getting any water out. And she says in verse 12, "Um, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from himself as did his sons and his livestock? That's a jab, right? That's a Samaritan jabbing a Jew because she's claiming Jacob is Israel. That's where the name comes from. The Israelites are all the people who descend from the man Israel. And she's like, we descend from Israel just like you do, right? Are, Are you claiming something? In fact, Jacob lived here. He didn't live down where you live in Judea. He lived here in Samaria. This is his well, right? She's she's needling him a little bit. And again, Jesus just comes at her, right? He, He won't let it go. Everybody who drinks this water, you're gonna be thirsty again. But if you drink my water, you never thirst again. My water creates a spring in you to eternal life. Now, where have we heard that before? Remember what he told Nicodemus. He used the example there of Moses raising the snake on the staff. But if you looked at the snake, you lived. He said, the son of man will be lifted up like that snake. If you believe in him, you'll live. And he's talking about eternal life again. But he's using a totally different analogy. He's using a spring. Now, she doesn't know it, but we find out later in the gospel, the spring that wells up in you is God's spirit. So he's talking about the spirit. 
and he's talking about eternal life. The same things he talked to Nicodemus about, only he's talking to them differently. And then she's like, great, I don't want to, I don't want to come here. This is, I mean, especially in the heat of the day by herself, I'd be very happy to stay at home and not have to do this. Yes, I'll do exactly what you said. Give me this water. And what does Jesus do, right? Flips it around again. Go get your husband. I'm not married. True, (laughs) you're not. You were five times. You're not married now. You're just living with a guy. True, what you've said is true. Truth. He's talking to her about truth, admitting the truth. Do you remember what he talked with Nicodemus about? There's evil people who do evil things. But the opposite of that is not good people doing good things. The opposite of that is honest people. People who acknowledge the truth. He's talking with this woman about the spirit, about eternal life, and about the truth. It's the same conversation he had with Nicodemus. But it's completely different analogies. It's a totally different way of coming about. I mean, these stories are so different. Right, they take place in different places. They're different people. One's a man, one's a woman, one's in the day, one's at night. Nicodemus initiates it. In this case, Jesus initiates it. They're totally different stories. And yet he gets around to talking with her about the same things. He steers the conversation. And I don't know in verse 19 if this is a sincere question or this is a, oh my gosh, I gotta change the subject kind of question. But she asks him one of the pressing theological questions of the day, which is the Jews claim that you have to worship in Jerusalem. They say that you have to do that. And in fact, the Old Testament says you have to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans do not accept those books of the Old Testament. They accept some of the Old Testament books, but the ones they don't like that say things like you have to worship in Jerusalem, they say, nope, those aren't authoritative. We don't accept those. So she asks him, what do you think? And the answers are straightforward. He gives her an honest answer. I mean, if she's trying to avoid it, he doesn't like, no, 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 let's talk about your husbands. In fact, he never mentions her husbands again. It's, it's like he just brought that up to get a chance to talk with her about some other things. And he affirms, nope, the scriptures are true. You Samaritans, you're not worshiping right. They have their own temple in Samaria. It's like, no, no, that is not the way you're supposed to worship. But, he says, God isn't really looking for people who worship in a location. He's looking for people who worship what? Spirit and truth. Same things he talked to Nicodemus about. And this woman's response is, well, I know the Messiah is coming. Because the Samaritans, again, the, the Old Testament is full of all these clues about God sending someone. And she knows it. And she's waiting for it. And Jesus says something that, wow, he does not often say. He says, That's me. I'm the Messiah. The Messiah who's going to tell you these things, I'm talking to you right now. I'm telling you. What he literally says is, I am. The one talking to you, I am. Now that can either mean, I am the Messiah. But I am is the name of God in Aramaic and Hebrew. And presumably he's talking to this woman in Aramaic. That would be the common language between them. And he looks at this woman and he says the name of God, I am, full stop. He'll do that several chapters after this. Some Jewish officials will get into an argument with him and he'll say to them, before Abraham was, I am. And they instantly go for stones and try and stone him because they know full well he's claiming deity. 
They know full well when he says, I am. He is claiming to be Jehovah himself. And that's what he says to this woman. Remember what he talked to about Nicodemus. There's a son of man who's also a son of God. There's a Messiah, that's me, but I am. There's also a claim to divinity. And the woman drops her bucket and takes off back to the village. And she doesn't just tell her husband, which is what Jesus told her to do. Go back and call your husband. She tells everybody. She tells the people. There's some guy who knows all about me. Could this be the Messiah? Is this the guy? Has he come? And they come to check it out. And look what John says happened in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They urged him to stay. He stayed for two days, verse 41. And because of his words, many more became believers. Jesus initiates a conversation with this woman. He shouldn't, by the social norms of the day, even be looking at her, much less talking to her, much less staying in a Samaritan village. But he does. He comes. He initiates a conversation with her. And she brings a whole village back to him. And look at what Jesus says to his disciples. These are Jesus' final words in verses 34 through 38. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Jesus says to his disciples, I would rather do God's will than eat. And what is God's will? To take evil people who do evil things, but who will be honest and bring them into the light. So God can be at work in them. We, we learned that just in the last story in Nicodemus. And Jesus said, that's more important to me than food. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. People are saying, no, it's not harvest time yet. No, that's months away. We don't got to worry about that. And Jesus says to his disciples, you're not looking Open your eyes, look around. The fields are ready for harvest. You can see it. Why? Why are they ready now when it's not supposed to be till four months? Because God is always at work, he says. God has always got people who are planting. God just doesn't plant in, you know, March and December. God's always got people planting. He is always causing things to grow and God always has people who are harvesting. God is always at work. Jesus says, this is always happening. There's not a time that there's gonna be a harvest. There's always a harvest available. And brothers and sisters, that word is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when he said it. Open your eyes. The fields are white for harvest because the same God that 2,000 years ago was constantly having seeds sown and constantly making things grow, that's the same God now doing the same things. He is always at work trying to bring people into his kingdom and he uses us. That's his way of doing it. He could do it himself. Maybe he has done it himself with some people but his normal way is he uses people to sow seeds he causes the growth. It's the spirit. We can't do it. That's what Jesus said. You gotta have the spirit. You've gotta be born again. We can't do any of that. We sow seeds. And then after God has caused growth, we harvest. And that is as true for us today as it was for them. But the truth is, we don't open our eyes. 
We don't look. We are not looking around for the harvest. Because there's always gonna be seed in the ground, there's always gonna be plants growing, and there's always gonna be plants ready to harvest. But Jesus says, you got to look for it. You can't be saying to yourself, oh, that's, that's months away. I don't have to worry about that now. No, now, he says, now. I was sitting in Crema last week, working on the sermon. Um, you know, if I don't wanna work here alone in my office, I go to Crema, I have a cup of tea, chat with people, so I'm talking, and one of the owners, who are Jewish, they're from Israel, one of the owners comes out, she sees me, she waves, she comes over, we talk for a minute, and then she says to me, can, can I ask you a question? I'm like, oh, of course. It's like, what are Christmas trees? Where do Christmas trees come from? Are, are they in the Bible somewhere? Why do you do Christmas trees, right? A daughter of Abraham, who does not worship Christ, just asked me, how we celebrate his birth. What do you think I did? <laughs> and I talked to her the way I talked to everybody. Full on professor mode. Well, you see, there's this German tradition. It comes from these years and this happened. No, it's not in the Bible. It's this. I gave for five or seven minutes. We had a wonderful discourse about how Christians took this pagan ceremony and did this, and this is why we put lights on and everything else. It was terribly interesting, wonderfully illuminating. I don't think I ever mentioned the name of Jesus. I talked to this woman for five to seven minutes, and, when, and she's like, I had no idea. That's so interesting. Thank you so much. And she got up, and as she's walking off, a few paces away from me, she stopped. She turned back to me, and she said, they're so beautiful. Oh, Christmas trees are so beautiful. We don't have anything like that in Judaism. And she walked off. And I beat my head against the table. Because I didn't do anything that he does. Because he talks to people. He questions people. He asks some stuff. She asked me about how we celebrate the birth of the Savior. I heard an interview with... Um, Tim Keller's wife. Tim Keller's a pastor up in New York City and, and just had phenomenal success. Planted churches all over New York City. You've probably heard of him. He writes books, does all sorts of things. They're asking his wife, why do you think he's so successful, right? And she said, basically, it's because the only thing he wants to talk about is Jesus. It doesn't matter what passage he's preaching from, he's gonna talk about Jesus. It doesn't matter what the conversation he's having you with, he's gonna talk about Jesus. You know how magicians will pull a rabbit out of the hats, but the really, really good magicians, they'll invite you to come up, right? You put your hat down and they'll pull a rabbit out of your hat. Tim's like that. He just pulls Jesus out of everything. Me, I pull Wikipedia out of everything. You want a long discourse on the history of Christmas trees? I'm your man. That is not what he did. Even though I say the same thing. I say I'd rather do his will than eat if I have to choose. And yet he is always engaging people. He's always talking to people. He's always spinning conversations around. He's always taking things in other directions to get chances to talk to people. She came to talk to me because they don't have Christmas trees in Judaism and they're so beautiful. And I never asked her a single question, never asked her why she wanted to know, never engaged 
with her at all. When a, a high, important guy like Nicodemus, a religious leader, a political leader, a rich and powerful man comes to Jesus and says, hey, buddy, you know, he's very collegial. He's pulling Jesus up to his level. He's being, oh, rabbi, we know all these things. Jesus goes after him. No, you don't know. You don't understand the simplest things about God. You claim to be a teacher, and yet you've never learned it yourself. And when an outcast, and I mean something has gone on with this woman to be married five times and now be living with a guy and not married to him, in this world, that is so shameful. That is so incredibly shameful. Now, John doesn't tell us why, which is really interesting, right? We speculate, is this because the woman's so awful that no guy can stay married to her? Or is this just men abusing women? Because they can. A woman cannot divorce her husband in this world but a husband can divorce his wife. Why, is this just men abusing a woman? Is this a woman being terrible? We don't know, John never even tells us her name. Like he intentionally, they spent two days there. I am confident they learned her name. He intentionally keeps her anonymous because she's a nobody. She is the lowest of the low. In their world, she is the worst of the worst. He shouldn't look at her. He shouldn't even be near her. And instead, he comes up to her and asks her for a drink, asks to use her water pitchers. Let me drink from your thing. No Jew would ever do that. When the powerful and the important and the rich come to us, oh, that's great. I'm so impressed. We say, thank you so much. That's so nice, right? And we, we have a great conversation with them. And when the anonymous outcasts are around. We leave because you don't want to be, you don't want to get caught in that. You don't want to be associated with that. I'm just nothing like him. And I bet a lot of you feel the same way. Like he is always going after people because the will of God is that evil people who do evil things, who will admit it, who will be honest, God will bring them into the light. God will be at work in them. You do not have to do good to get God to love you or save you. God has loved us and saved us. So we get to do good. But we gotta tell people that. We have to tell people that they don't have to be good and they don't have to get it right and that God's not standing up there tapping his foot, waiting for them to do the right thing that what he had on offer 2,000 years ago, it's still there. You just got to admit it. You just got to ask for it. It's right there. I know Messiah will explain that to me one day. Yes. Yes, I am. I'm explaining it to you right now. A whole village becomes Christians. You're going to meet these people. This isn't just a story. It really happened. You're going to meet these people in Jesus' kingdom. They are there now. We will be there one day. But you will meet this woman. You will meet a whole, the whole village of Sychar. Because she brought them to Jesus. They heard it. They believed it. God gave them his spirit. They understood. And as Jesus said to his disciples, you guys didn't plant any of this. You've never been to Sychar before. 
You had nothing to do with all the work of planting and all the work that God did to grow, but they're ready. John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to, it was necessary because there was a harvest ready and he needed to go and do that. Brothers and sisters, we gotta open our eyes. We gotta look around. We gotta look for opportunities to talk to people. Because as much as I would like it, there is one story in the Bible when a man rushes up to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Right, it does happen. It happened once that we know of in the scriptures. But pretty much all the rest of the time, you gotta talk to people first. You gotta engage them. You gotta ask them questions. Sometimes you gotta flip conversations around. Sometimes you have to be bold. You probably always have to be interesting. We must have our eyes open. If you don't know how to do that, if that like freaks you out, if you think, I have no idea, because it's true, there are people around you that God, where God wants you to plant, right? Not harvest. You can't harvest till you plant the seed. You can't harvest till the seed grows. God does growth, not us. But we plant and we harvest, God says. God's got people around you where he wants you to plant. You're not gonna say anything, nothing's gonna happen, he just wants you to plant those seeds. And God's got people around you where he wants to harvest. He wants to use you to bring people into his kingdom. But we can't do that when we're walking around like this. We gotta open our eyes, we gotta look up to the fields. If you have no idea how to do that, Wednesday nights, we're gonna have a whole time together. We can tell each other how frightened we are of this. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We're gonna, like Tim said, write names up on boards. Like, okay, we're gonna pray for your time with that person. We're gonna pray that they walk up to you. Because I pray all the time for chances to share with my friends at Crema. We're gonna pray that they walk up to you and ask you a question about the birth of the Messiah. But if, like me, you're walking around like this, you're not going to answer them. As I've done, prepared this sermon, I am praying that this week, the Lord will give you a chance to do that, and you'll see it. Right? That, that God will give you an opportunity. Maybe it's to plant, maybe it's to harvest. I, I don't know. As Jesus says, God's got them both. He's paying people to sow seeds, and he's paying people to reap the harvest. He's got his workers doing all of that all the time. I don't know what God's gonna do with you, but I'm praying that everyone listening to this, at some point this week, God gives you that opportunity to sow seeds or to harvest. Whether you're here Sunday, right? You're, you're with me right now, or you're on the video watching this later. I'm praying God's spirit's not bound by time. I'm praying that God gives you that chance. Keep your eyes open. Keep your heads up. Look at the harvest. There are people around you that God wants to do this with. Maybe it looks like Nicodemus and they come to you. Maybe it looks like the woman at the well and you go to them. That's up to him. But I'm praying that God will do that. But you gotta look. You gotta watch. You gotta be ready. So I'm gonna pray for us. Let's pray. Jesus, yeah, I'm amazed. <laughs> like uh, Tim Keller's wife, Kathy, said, you know, he, he, he always wants to talk about you. Doesn't matter where he is in the Bible or what he's talking about with someone on the street. He always wants to talk about you. And you, you always want to talk about 
life. You always want to talk about the spirit and truth. You always want people to be honest so that you can take evil people doing evil things and bring them into the light. Oh Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed and I'm kind of ashamed because I'm not doing that. I am happy to give people information. I'm not as happy to do the kinds of things that you do where you engage with them. And so you engage with them in ways sometimes that they're not going to like. And you engage with people that your friends aren't going to like you engaging with. I mean, the disciples, they look at you and wonder, why in the world are you talking to this woman? Lord, I pray for all of us. I pray for everyone hearing my voice that this week, Holy Spirit, you will give us this opportunity. You will bring us in contact with people where you want us to sow seeds or you want us to harvest. Because you have been at work. Like you told the disciples, they're, they're reaping what they never sowed. You had prepared this village. We don't know how. You don't tell us. But you had prepared them and they were ready and so you had to go there. Holy Spirit, guide us this week. Where do we need to go? Where do we need to be? Who do we need to be talking with? How do we need to talk with them? Jesus, we're not you. you. You were able to tell the woman everything about her life. We don't know those things unless you tell us. So Holy Spirit, guide us, tell us, show us. Where do we need to be? Who do we need to talk to? Where do you want us to sow seeds? I pray for all of us who are scared, frightened, and freaked out by that, that, that then we'll, all, we'll get together on Wednesday and that'll be good. Uh, Tim leads through talking about these things and praying for people and holding one another accountable. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bring folks to that so that we do what you told us to do. So we have our eyes open. So we're disciples who make disciples. That was your last command to your followers. Go make disciples. And we want to obey. Jesus, I pray for us that this week you will give us opportunities and you'll give us eyes to see. And we pray all this in your name, Lord, always. Amen. Let's close, as we always do. Why? Why, why is there a harvest? Why can we tell people you don't have to be good? You don't have to do anything to come before God. It's what's represented, the, the cup and the bread that represents the body and the blood of Christ. So I'm going to pray over these things. Then if you'll just get up, go to any one of the stations. There's one in each end. There's one here and down on the side. This has gluten-free if you need it. So go to one of the stations, get the bread, get the cup, and bring them back to your seats. And then I will lead us through all that. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we always say here. Thank you. The only reason we can tell anyone that they can be right with God is because of what you did. The only reason we can tell someone you don't have to do anything, you just have to accept, is because of what you did. Salvation is a free gift to us. It was not free and it was not a gift to you. You had to die. You had to trade your life for ours. Thank you. You told us to do this when we gathered to remember. Jesus, we remember. Holy Spirit, work in us now. Help us to remember again. Amen.